Well, let's pray real quick again and uh, just get our hearts centered before we dive into Scripture. Um, if, there's, if there's anything on your mind, if there's something that's weighting you down, I just, pray, I, I just ask you right now just to take some time and just lay it out before God and, and let's, uh, let's let him deal with it, how he's going to. Um, last week I presented a dream. Uh, that that um, God's just laid on my heart for for what it, what this church needs to be and and um, as I as I finish that off, I brought that right down front and center for you guys because ultimately, what the church is is what the people that make it up are, and so um, it starts in each and every one of us. Uh, Obviously, it started with him and what he's done in the world, but what we become is really what he's doing in us and, and how he's working. And so, if we're not being transformed and we're not being changed by him, and that work isn't happening in our life, then there's an issue that we need to deal with. But, but I would just ask you guys right now just to bow your heads, and let's just spend some time. If, if there's a sin, if there's, if there's just a, a trial that you're facing, if there's just some issue that you've got going on, um, let's just deal with it now before we get started, not wait to the end. And, um, and, I, and then I'll close this in just a second. Father, I have no doubt that the desire of the heart of every person in this room is that you work in them and that you change them. And I join in that prayer, God. I join in that. And, and, and Father, I just pray that, um, that tonight and, and tomorrow and the day after that, that you will just continue to work in us that you'll show us where we're headed. And, and Father, I know that we're not going to get all of the answers. We're not going to have, have all of the information, but you're going to give us enough. And I trust that. Father, I pray that each of those things that we've prayed already about and that, that, that have come to mind, I pray, God, that you would show us in your wisdom and by your power how they might be dealt with, how you'll deal with them, how you'll empower us to deal with them. Father, I pray that as we spend the rest of this time together, God, that, um, that you will just work as I speak. It'll be more than just me saying words, but that you'll work through them. As we sit together in community, that it'll be more than just people listening but that we'll be connecting. Father, I just pray that as we move forward, not just as individuals, but as a church, that you'll use us to shine the light of your glory into the world around us. And I pray that, that through your word tonight, some of, that, some of that work might just be started. That's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Okay. We are in John. Um, and what we've seen happening lately is Jesus beginning the work of his ministry. And, and, and we've come to a place where we've seen Jesus do this miracle of changing water into wine. And he's got these five disciples following him at the point that he does this. And, you know, he gains those disciples through the testimony first of John the Baptist. And then the testimony, not just of John the Baptist, but then the testimony of these men to other people it begins to build Jesus' following. These men sit and they listen to Jesus speak and, t- and teach and talk about who he is and what he's about to do, but then they see him begin to work these miracles that just, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to witness one of these things where, you know, something as, as crazy as water turning into wine. Or even as we spoke about last week or, and looked at last week, him coming into this temple and doing something as crazy as kicking all of these people out of this court of Gentiles. This place was full, and he's just scattering them and telling them to get out and whipping at them with this, this whip. And, and I, I just can't imagine what that was like to actually see and experience. But these men saw it happening. And, and then as we came to the close of our passage last week, there was, there was something that, that struck me, and I brought it to your attention. And I want to bring it to your attention again tonight before we get into the context of what we have to speak about. And it's the last two verses of John chapter 2. It says this, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, that's, that's why he had gone into Jerusalem, that's why he had, had been there, was for the Passover. The first place he stopped at was the temple. And, and he, you know, he, he gets angry and he, and he does his thing. But it says this, he says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. See, Jesus began to do these works. He began to do these things, and people saw it. And because they saw it, they believed in him. They saw these amazing works. I mean, ultimately, what we understand is is that Jesus didn't change the water into wine to justify people drinking alcohol. He did it as a sign to demonstrate his glory. He didn't cleanse the temple or clear the temple in order to justify people having a righteous or holy anger. It's not what he was doing. It's why he was doing it. He was was angry because his people, the people who were responsible for showing his glory, for teaching the world about him, and that place, that special place, the temple, that place where people were to connect with God, being abused, His people, the people who were responsible to bring his message to the world, were short-circuiting the worship of other people. They were totally, totally overriding, and they were they were tearing it down, and they were taking taking it apart. They were cheating them. They were ripping them off, and they were and they were demonstrating something other than his glory and his majesty. But then he stayed there and he continued to do this work and more and more people believed in him. And so what we see happening is this ever-widening circle of people experiencing Jesus and their lives being transformed, being changed because of what they saw. And and so with that in mind and with that in our heads and, and, and in that context, we have to continue reading the book of John. John chapter 3 and, and really, the passage is not complete until, the, until verse 21. I'm going to read um, 
not all of those verses because I think we'll get lost in it. But I'm going to read a portion of it. And if, if you don't have your Bible, I didn't get the verses on a PowerPoint this week. If you, if you don't have your Bible, please listen along or actually grab a Bible that's in the chair uh, near you and turn to John chapter 3. But ultimately, I'm going to read a portion of it, but we're going to focus on the first two verses tonight. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be spending the rest of our time in, 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 um, in this passage. And I'll tell you why I'm going to look at this one just as close as we're going to. And ultimately, it's because this is a synopsis of the gospel. When you come to John chapter 3, the very first thing that probably pops into our minds is John chapter 3, verse 16. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, probably the most popular verse in the Bible. <clears throat> but there is so much here. And as we stand up and as we try to proclaim the gospel, this really becomes what we are about. Not just in this time, but in everything we do, individually, and corporately. This is what we're to be about. And we're going to see that over the next couple of weeks. If you've got your Bible open, follow along with me. John chapter 3, I'll start reading in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen but still you people do not ex accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and do not believe, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And let's stop right there. Now I want, I, I want to get you into the frame of reference or the frame of mind that Nicodemus is in. And ultimately that's almost impossible for me to do unless unless one of you has a broken leg and Jesus gives me the power to heal you right now, because unless he does that, you're not going to see exactly what Nicodemus saw and experienced. See, I believe it doesn't exactly tell us what was going on as Jesus healed these people in Jerusalem. It doesn't tell us everything, or, or, or it doesn't tell us everything that Jesus was doing in Jerusalem in those last two verses of John chapter 2. What it does say is that he was performing these miraculous signs and, and, <clears throat> and people were seeing it and believing. Well, you can be sure. Nicodemus, part of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, a leader in the Jewish culture, you can be sure that he was there the day that Jesus cleared the temple. 
He had seen all of these things, probably heard about others. And, and so for us, so for us, we need, to, we need to get in that frame of reference. We need to get into that understanding before we really even dive in to John chapter 3. We need to understand where Nicodemus is coming from. And so tonight, these questions weighed on my heart, and, and, and they really become the center of what I hope that you'll gain from tonight. When was the last time that you were drawn to the work of God? When was the last time that you really saw God work? When was the last time you even stopped to consider Him? Let me tell you why I've got those questions rolling around in my head. Nicodemus lived in Jerusalem. Nicodemus had seen a man come in and just begin to turn things upside down. And then he began to see him do amazing things. And he's so struck by it, he's so drawn to it, he comes to Jesus at night. And why did he come? He says it himself. We know that you are a teacher from God. Because no one can do these things that you're doing unless God is in him and working. You know, he didn't catch, he didn't catch the whole identity of God or, or, or the whole identity of Jesus. He didn't see everything that was to, see, to, to be seen about Jesus. He didn't totally understand his identity, but he knew one thing. God's power was resting on him, and he was drawn to it. And he wanted to understand it, and he wanted to, be, to, to know it, and he wanted to be taught by him. And so he comes to him. And so I ask you again, when was the last time you saw God work? Or when was the last time you even considered him working? I'm going to try and give you some illustrations, and, and to do that, I'm going to have to use some technical numbers and and I'm not a numbers guy. I just barely made it through college algebra. I didn't, didn't care for it. Um, it's just not my thing. <clears throat> but, uh, and, and, and to help you do all that, I, I want to give just a couple of definitions. And, and you guys have probably heard these before. I'm, I'm not going to tell you anything new. But the first one is about the speed of light. A light year equals about five, I'm going to say that wrong, Five trillion eight hundred and seventy-eight billion six hundred and thirty million miles. So that light travels that far in a year. That's a long way. I mean, that's a long way. Okay, next, I'm going to use the number quadrillion. And quadrillion to put it in terms that, that we can wrap our mind around, a billion is that number, 10 to the ninth power. And a quadrillion is a mere 10 to the 15th, 10 to the 15th power. Okay, so to give you a frame of reference for that, I've got a picture. Now this picture is a stack of pennies. And that stack of pennies is put to scale... You're not, you probably can't see it real well. Turn those lights down so we can see it. That stack of pennies 
is put to scale next to the Empire State Building, the Sears Tower, a trillion pennies, a cube of a trillion pennies, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and a football field. That's a quadrillion. Actually, there's, there's a more exact number than that, but it's, it represents it. It's a quadrillion, 67 billion, 88 million, 384,000 pennies. Make up that cube. And it dwarfs some of the biggest things we know on our earth. Some of the biggest man-made things on our earth. Okay, now keep that frame of reference in your mind. I'm going to talk about four stars. The sun, Betelgeuse, <coughs> uh, Musifi, and Canis Majoris. First, we start with the sun. The sun, 93 million miles away. It's one million times the size of our earth. In our frame of reference, if earth was a golf ball, picture a golf ball in your mind. Man, I wish I'd have brought one. Sun, the sun, would be 15 feet in diameter. 15 feet in diameter. It wouldn't fit in this room. It'd be too tall. And we'd be the size of a golf ball. Oh, and by the way, if I was holding the golf ball up here, could you pick yourself out on it? Could you even begin to imagine what part of it you took up? 960,000 Earths could fit inside the sun. That's the same as the number of golf balls it would take to fill up a school bus. Betelgeuse. It is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. It is the golden star. Uh, that's, that's not Betelgeuse. There it is. It's the golden star in Orion. You guys recognize Orion? You see the belt, the three stars right there? That's the constellation Orion. That golden star right up in the corner is Betelgeuse. It's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. I don't know how to grasp that other than if the Earth were a golf ball, <coughs> then you could stand and look at the Empire State Building and imagine five more stacked on top of it. And that would be the diameter of Betelgeuse. So you got a golf ball, and you got six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of one another, and that's the size of Betelgeuse. That's pretty big. That's amazing. Musifi. <clears throat> it's 3,000 light years away. It's the size of Jupiter's orbit around the sun. If Earth were a golf ball, Musifi would be the same as having two Golden Gate bridges end to end, and that was what its diameter would be. Two point seven quadrillion. There's the number. You remember that stack of pennies? Two. Point 
seven quadrillion earths can fit inside that star. Well, Canis Majoris, it's the big dog. It's really what that means. It's the biggest star that we know in existence. If Earth were a golf ball, it would be the height of Mount Everest. Seven quadrillion Earths can fit inside of this star. That'd be the same as covering the state of Texas 22 inches deep with golf balls. That's a lot of golf balls. Now I bring all this up because I want to bring you into a frame of reference that you are in awe of God. Psalm 33 says this. Verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth feel the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere Him. For He spoke it, and it came to be. He commanded it, and it stood firm. I'm telling you what, that's pretty big, and that's pretty amazing. I, I, I want you to get just a little bit better grasp of it. I've got some other slides to show you. Camera, flip to the next slide. That's our, that's our little blue marble, right? Hangs out there in space. I want to be able to put this in just a little better frame of reference for you so that you can see it and understand it. If you took our earth and you, and you set it next to the planets of our solar system, this is how we stack up to the, to the smaller ones. Here's how we stack up to the larger ones. You see earth is down in the bottom left corner. It's about to disappear. Here's how we stack up next to the sun. Earth is one, two, three, four dots over. Now, this is where it gets good. Here's how our galaxy stacks up to some of those things I told you about. Now, you can't read this because it's not clear, but in the bottom left corner, it says Jupiter is invisible at this point. You can't even see it now. Our sun is one pixel on this picture. But you see Beetlejuice there? See how it just dwarfs us? See how it, see how it, 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 it makes everything a totally different picture. And, and I didn't talk to you about Antares, but, but that is a, it's a massive star as well. And, and you're not even going to see where Musifi falls in here, but you are going to see where Antares compares to Canis Majoris. Now let me bring you back to who we are. Canis Majoris compared to our sun. One more. There it is. 
You see the little square down at the bottom left of that star? You can't see what's inside of there. But if you magnify it, you can understand and you can see. You know what? The God who created these things dwarfs them. And really, Canis Majoris may be a massive star within our universe, but you can't even see it. And it doesn't compare when you step out and look at the universe. It disappears amongst all the other stars. But God knows the number, and He knows their names. Now, if that doesn't bring you to this point of awe of God... It doesn't, stop, it doesn't stop with just these massive and big things. Let me, let me share something else with you. A human cell, each human cell, each cell in your body has six feet of DNA inside of it. Six feet. You're made up of, for people like me, this is probably really low, but for some smaller people it may be about right. You're made up, let me get the number right, you're made up of 60 or I'm sorry, 10 trillion cells. Do the math. That's 60 trillion feet of DNA wrapped up in your little old body. And all of that DNA encoding and, 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 and making you who God designed you to be. See, He's massive. He's over all things. And it goes down to a very minute detail. You know, those are just facts and figures. Those are just numbers and, and you know, there's not a lot tied up in that. But I want, I want to bring you through some exercises. Roll your eyes. Did you ever get in trouble for rolling your eyes when you were a kid? Oh, gosh. I did. <clears throat> I get in trouble for rolling my eyes now. <laughs> Turn your head. Look at your neighbor. And keep looking at your neighbor. Don't give it up. Don't stop looking. I want you to look for a long time. You know what's funny is, as you look at your neighbors, everybody's kind of smiling. Kind of feels weird though, doesn't it? There's this thing happening inside of you you're not exactly sure what to do with. Let me tell you a joke. How much did the I oh, don't stop looking at your neighbor, you gotta keep looking at your neighbor. How much did the pirate pay to get his ears pierced? A buccaneer! And we laughed. I want you to know that's God's work in your life. He's put you together in such a way that you can look at one another. You feel emotion. You can laugh. You can feel. You can experience this world all so that you can experience Him. You see, He's done that. And maybe that's just some small scale and maybe that's just some, some in, 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 insignificant way in which He works in this world. But let me tell you, the fact that you can roll your eyes it's because He put those muscles there so that you could roll your eyes. Take a deep breath. He's built an atmosphere that supports you and gives you everything you need. How many of you have eaten tonight? Man, 
Who gave you that food? Who, who made it so that it sustains your body and moves you and burns as energy? You're experiencing God at every turn, and yet so often we get up in our life and we walk through the day and we forget all about Him and we don't ever stop to consider Him. Every move you make has been enabled by God. Everything that your body can do, even those things that we don't talk about, has been enabled by God for one reason or another. He made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. How often do we stop and consider His works and how grand they are? Even to the most minute detail. Well now, I want to share some Scripture with you. And I don't want you to, I don't want you to look these up. I don't, I don't want you digging. I just want you to listen. And I want you to continue... I've, I've put you in this place where you see how God, how big He is, and, and, and now I'm, I've tried to help you see how detailed He is, and I've tried to help you see how He's put you together, and now I want you to understand His majesty and, and His power and His glory. Psalm 97, The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround Him Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Fire goes before Him and consumes His foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim His righteousness. And all the peoples see His glory. <clears throat> Psalms 104. I've read this before. We've, we, we've heard this before. But let me read it to you again. 104 verses 24 through 32. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small, there the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. Do you see it? Are, are you beginning to get a glimpse of it? Are, are, are you moved by the fact that, that this God, who's so big, He's the one who provides the food. He's the one that provides the breath. He's the one, the, the, the one who created it all and who knit you together in your mother's womb. Isaiah is called to be a prophet. And in chapter, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through um, 4, you see his call. And it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two that covered their faces, with two that covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This God, this God who's so big, who has the power to create and the power to tear down and is surrounded by angels, stops. And he involves himself in the lives of men. Psalm 8. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Oh Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He stops and he thinks about you and about me. Does that give you some sense of how special and how amazing this all is? When was the last time you considered his work? When was the last time you stopped to think of him? Our whole life, everything about us is due to him. But I've said it so many times lately, and I'm afraid it's going to come, become just a cliche, but because of the gospel, because of this very passage that we're looking at tonight, we can stand up and we can, we can proclaim we're redeemed, and we can stand in front of the King, and we can see Him, and we can worship Him, and we can be in His presence. We have this hope that's not going to let us down. And I want you to think... I want you to understand that this is what I think Nicodemus was experiencing as he came to Jesus. You see, for some time in, in the Jewish history now, God had been quiet. He hadn't had prophets coming to them. He, he hadn't been speaking to them in the same way. And so this man comes on the scene and he kicks these people out of the temple and he says, this is my father's house. What are you doing? And then he starts 
to work these miracles and he does these amazing things. I, I think he's healing people. But, you know, ultimately John the Baptist was, was, was distraught and he was in jail and things were going wrong. And, and, and he sends his men to Jesus and he says, ask him if he's the one. And they come to Jesus and Jesus' response is this, go back and tell him what you see. The, bl- the blind see the deaf hear, the lame walk. You see, when Jesus comes on the scene, people are changed. And this is what Nicodemus is experiencing. This is what Nicodemus is seeing. And so suddenly, there's this hope. There's this man who, who, who God is, his, his power is all over him. He wants nothing more to be in his presence and to hear him speak and to hear what he has to say. So he goes to him. And he says, you know, we know that you're a great teacher. That you're a teacher of God because of what we see you doing. You see, in in our world, we think, okay, I'm going to put together this great plan. I'm going to put together this great program. And we're going to get up and we're going to work this program. And this program is going to do wonderful things for us. It will never change a person's life. I want you to stop and I want you to think before we even come to the gospel and be reminded of the glory and the power and the majesty and the eternality and and, and the amazing awe of your Creator God. And just sit in it and be reminded of it. Think about it. This great big God who put it all together cared about each and every person in this room. And he cares about the people who are sitting in their homes right now ignoring him and rejecting him. And he loved them. And he did something for them so that they might have a hope as well. But how often do we ignore it? Do we reject it? Do we forget about Him? Do we take credit for it ourselves? With all that in mind, let's look back at our passage. He says to Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. Talking about being born again. We're going to talk specifically about that in the weeks to come. This new life. This transformation. You see what Jesus was doing as he healed people, as he made blind people see, as he made lame people walk and deaf people hear, they were all signs demonstrating that, that what happens in the physical is just a symbol of what can happen in the spiritual. And whether you realize it or not, there are lives in this very room, there are lives of people that, that are a part of this body, that, that, that have been a part of this body, that are being changed by God, whether you, whether you even know it or not. 
there are people whose eyes are being opened, who are being given legs to walk on. Not because they couldn't walk physically, because they, but because they were stunted spiritually. They're seeing things in their life that they'd always accepted. And they're realizing now that they're wrong. And they're having to repent. And God's working it in them and transforming them. And, and so he comes, to, he comes to Nicodemus and he says, you don't understand these things about this new life? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken of you of earthly things and, and <clears throat> spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, John 3.16 doesn't stand by itself. There's so much around it. The complete gospel, the whole thing, not just a portion, but all of it in its truth. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is it. This is the story of the gospel. This, this is why we form. This is why we gather this is, what, this is what's supposed to define everything we do as individuals and as a church. This is who we're to be. All oh, because of the gospel. But let me ask you again. Well, let me ask it in a different way. As you sit here tonight, have been reminded of the gospel, have been confronted with the power and the majesty and the glory of God. How will you respond? What will you do? Will there be something different? Will there be some change? Will there be some difference? You know, when Isaiah stood in that throne room and cried out, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I'm from a people of unclean lips. Well, God didn't let it stop there. See, the rest of the story for him is this. Let me pick up the context so you can hear it. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Listen very closely to this next phrase. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Oh, this is where I get goosebumps. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. How will you respond? We've seen Isaiah respond. And man, I don't, I don't know if there's a better one. I don't know if there's a better way. We, we, we sang songs. Cameron, pull the songs up from tonight. We sang songs tonight <coughs> about our devotion. Go to the song that talks about holy, holy, holy. And I want you to go to that last course where it's holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. How many of you sang that chorus? Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's pretty big. That doesn't mean holy in the sense that we think of holy as in a religious holy. That means completely. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And that's not misspelled. That's not, we didn't take that out of context and do it up wrong. I, that's the way the author wrote it. Who wrote this? David Crowder. That's how he wrote it. Holy. Holy. I am holy, holy, holy. I am completely yours. Let's go down a couple more songs. Actually, it might have been in the next one. No, it was in the last one. Go to the last song. Scroll down through it for me so I can see the words I need to see. <clears throat> oh, stop. Go back. We love you, Lord. We worship you. You are you are our God. Who sang that? You see, this is so easy to sit in here and sing these songs and not think about the meaning of the words. But this is big stuff. This is more than just, okay, it's time to worship. I'm going to sing this song. And I'm not I'm not saying these things to condemn you or convict you or lay some guilt on you. That's God's job. I mean, He's the one that brings conviction. I, I, I just want you to stop and think about what your response should be in the face 
of a God who's so big that he can build a star like Canis Majoris and who's so detailed that he can put your DNA together, six feet of it, in each individual cell of your body. But he still loves you enough that he came to this earth to redeem a fallen people. And he made his glory known. What is your response? Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he was taught, and there's a lot of people who talk about why, Jesus, why Nicodemus came at night, but you know what? We won't know for sure until we get to heaven. But what's interesting is, is that Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he hears the story of the gospel, and he doesn't understand it at first, but you begin through the book of John to begin to see a transformation in his life. You see, just a few chapters later, Jesus has made the Jewish leaders mad. And they're, they're all trying to figure out a way to, to, to bring him down. Hey, this guy's going to mess up our way of life. And, and, and Nicodemus stands up in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the people who he, is, he, who he is revered by and respected by, and he defends the man Jesus. Step one. Step two, I want to read it to you because there's a phrase I want you to hear straight from the Bible. It's in John chapter 19. Jesus has been crucified. He's, he's being brought down off the cross. John chapter 19, verse 38 says this. <clears throat> Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And we've all heard of Joseph of Arimathea coming and doing this and... and, and and, and taking his body and putting it in a tomb, John tells us something extra. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. You see, Jesus meant enough to Nicodemus that when he saw him die and heard of his crucifixion, that no longer did he hide at night. But he began to defend him in front of people, and then he came. Before at night, now for the whole world to see. And he brought with him all of the spices and all of the, all of the ornaments to, to give Jesus a proper Jewish burial. Wasn't hiding anymore. Let me ask you again, what will your response be? As we stand here and we talk about and sing about what's happening in this city and, and, and who and, and how we're going to reach people, it's not a program or a method. It's not going to be some, it's not going to be, be some special advertising campaign that changes people. People are going to be looking for Jesus in you. And they need to see Jesus in you. And when they see Jesus in you, they won't come and be an empty shell that stays an empty shell. They'll be a blind person that's given sight. They'll be a deaf person that's given ears to hear. And they'll be a lame person that's made to walk. Because of Jesus. Because of the gospel.
how will you respond? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to just I just want to say two last things and we'll be finished. As I did the research on, on how big this universe is and how, how massive all of this is, over and over and over, people talked about their insignificance and how they felt insignificant. Let me remind you, you are significant. You matter. You are valuable. Not because of who you are, but because of God's view of you. You are significant, not because of a role that you fill, but because of the status that He gives you and has given you in His work. You are significant. And you are a product. As a believer in Jesus Christ and, and, and a Christian, and, and, and that word has so, so lost its meaning, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a product of His grace and His mercy. You've been changed and you've been made new and you've been given this new life. Now let me ask you, what are you going to do with it? How do you respond to His glory? In the coming weeks, we are going to do some advertising. We are going to do some outreach. But I want to challenge you not to wait. I want you doing it right now and when you get up in the morning you go out into the world and you shine his light into the darkness and when you stand in the supermarket you shine his light into the darkness and when you sit in a restaurant you shine his light into the darkness because it's through you his chosen people that he is going to show his glory father i just pray I pray that you will use these words of mine to encourage us where we need encouragement, to convict us where we need conviction, to change us where we need transformation, God, to grow us up into your children, to become mature, to, to, to become what we've been created to be, God, to be full of you, to be overflowing with you, to be used by you, Oh, Father, we thank You. Jesus, we praise You. Holy Spirit, we need You. Lead us, guide us, work in us, change us. Show us Your way. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.